Thank you all so much for coming. Can you hear me? Yes. yes. Brilliant. And you can see. Yes. It's great because I can see and hear you as well. And particularly today, it's important because we have three amazing guests here today. And we have a few things that we want to talk to you about today. And one is about hearing and hearing loss and the importance of our hearing. And one is about tinnitus, which isn't necessarily connected with hearing loss. You can have hearing loss and tinnitus, or you just have tinnitus on its own, but we've got two experts who will tell us all about that. We have two more experts here who will tell us a little bit about dance and the importance of dance and balance, and balance connected with the ear. So although it might seem a bit strange to have hearing loss and dance all in one program, that's the connection, is the balance. So I've already mentioned four experts, but you can see there's been a crossover. <laughs> so, I'm going to introduce you first of all to Professor Sven Vanessa. So Sven is from Trinity College. He's going to speak to us about hearing loss and tinnitus and the impact that that has on our brain health. And then after that, we're going to have a lovely choreographed dance from Alwyn. Alwyn Lyons is a wonderful choreographer who does a lot of dance for people with Parkinson's. So that typically people might freeze on one side, she does some wonderful exercises to free up our whole bodies. Our whole the hope you're all is to move for a bit of dancing. So we're going to do some dancing uh, later on. And then we have our break. And instead of the people who were here last week, thank you so much for coming back. But instead of having our coffee here this week, we're going to go outside, which gives us a little more space for dancing. So if you feel the need and the spirit's moving you, and you want to get up and dance here, by all means do. Or if you'd rather just dance with your arms from your seat, that's okay as well. Then when we come back after the break, we'll have Dr. Anusha Bowman. So Anusha is a very unusual person in as much as she's a neuroscientist, but she's also a Bollywood dancer. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and she's quite amazing. And she ties it all in together, how important it is, because she's the girl who knows what's going on in your brain and also what's going on in your feet and in your limbs. So that's right after the break. And as always, if you have any questions, we've got the experts here. Please ask us any questions that you have. If you want to hold them until after the break, you might want to chat with one of your friends and say, I was thinking of asking this, what do you think? You can do that. Or you can dive straight in and ask questions as we go. It's up to you. This is your event today. So thank you so much for coming. My name is Karen Meenan. I'm a senior fellow in the Global Brain Health Institute. So I spent a year in Trinity College working with people like Sven and Anusha and across the way, we met Alwyn, which was great. Um, but the things I learned in GBHI, which is the Global Brain Health Institute, were things I never knew before. Obvious things to me now, but at the time I was going, how did I not know that? So I hope that after Sven's talk in particular, you'll be saying a few things like, how did I not know that? I think they need to put this stuff on the side of buses so we can see it as it's going by because our hearing is so important for our brain health. Something I hadn't clocked before. Anyway, Sven's going to tell us all about it. Thank you for coming today. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. Can you hear me? Yes. yes. Uh, first of all, Karen, thank you for the invitation. It's always great to talk about your research. Uh, and today I'm going to talk about brain health and how to improve it. So what do we know is that we're all getting older, that's good news. 
So it's not only in Ireland, you can see worldwide that people are getting older. If you compare how old we are getting in comparison to centuries ago, you can clearly see that there's an increase in how many people are getting older and older and older. So that's a good thing. So the estimate is that if you now are in your mid-50s, if you're a woman, you have one out of two chance that you will get in your 90s. If you're a man, it's one out of three. So why is that? Why are we getting older? Well, there's a couple of things that we understand that have a huge impact in why we are getting older. Some of these are beyond our individual control, and some of these we have control over. So the dark blue ones are the ones that we have control over, the light blue ones are the ones that are beyond our control, or more things that the society needs to organize as a bigger piece. So it's not individually, but all of us that need to contribute to that. So if we look at individual choices, well, your personal health and the safety environment is quite crucial. Having social connections, so being here together, interacting with each other is really helping uh, to improve your health. Uh, compliance with medical advice, having access to medical advice uh, and education seems to be key important uh, determinants that can predict uh, age. At the same time, medical knowledge and access to it, so training people to get better knowledge, to be really up to date with the uh, latest research, it seems to be also having an impact on our life expectancy. Your genes, that's a little bit harder to modify. We know that uh, women have uh, typically better genes than men, so that's why they typically are getting older than men. Uh, and then childhood conditions. We know that there's a lot of uh, prenatal uh, medical uh, things that we can do that we were not able to do, let's say, even 10 years ago, that really uh, help us to reduce child death. And then healthy and safety uh, neighborhoods are also crucial for that. But together with that, so we're talking about health, bodily health, uh, but together with that, our, if we are getting older, there are a couple of things that we have to keep in mind. So we know that our brain function also needs to take, that we also need to take our brain function into account. And we know that, for example, that the chance of getting Alzheimer's disease or Parkinson increases with getting older. And we even know that specifically for Alzheimer's disease, that if you look at age, and if you look at the prevalence, you see that there's a steep increase in the cases uh, in comparison for, uh, to, for example, Parkinson. So the good thing is that we're getting older, but at the same time, we need to be aware that there are some risks involved with it, typically brain health risks that are uh, something that we have to understand. And there are even projections. We know that in Europe, that by uh, 20 or 2050, the numbers will still will continue to increase. So this is the current situation. So these are a couple of countries um, from Belgium. Uh, so these are a couple of countries. And you can see in each country, and Ireland is an exception to that, 
you see that the numbers will increase over the next 20 years. So it's something that we really have to take into account. So there's first urge for action. So we need to start thinking about our brain health. We need to start thinking about our central nervous system and basically how we can fitness our brain. But what do we mean with brain health? Well, brain health is a state of brain functioning, allowing a person to realize their full potential over their life course, irrespective of the present and the absence of the disorder. So to really try to achieve their full potential. An interesting thing is that there's more and more research on brain health and brain fitness. So how can we actually keep our brain fit? And as you can see, we're getting a better and better understanding of uh, how to maintain our brain function. And if you look at uh, how many research publications that came out, which is a type of measure of how, much, how many people are doing research, research on brain health, you can see that every year it's increasing. And in the last 10 years, there's a lot that has happened. So what have we learned? Well, there are specific determinants that we have to take into account. Healthy environments, physical health, access to quality service, learning and social connections, and safety and security seem to be the crucial determinants for your brain health. They will improve and optimize your brain structure and function that will improve your social and economic benefits, uh, will improve health, and will enhance your well-being. What do we mean with these determinants? Well, we have physical health, and in physical health, we have genetic and epigenetic factors. So genetics is something that we're not able to modify with epigenetic factors. So there's more and more research that indicate that we can actually modify our genes by the environment. So the environment will actually uh, initiate certain genes or basically turn certain genes on. And that's something that we can modify. Uh, nutrition. Lower the risk of infections. Uh, lower the risk of chronic diseases, such as, for example, cardiovascular diseases and so on. <coughs> Healthy behavior. Uh, avoiding traumatic injuries. We're more and more aware that it's not healthy for young children when they play football, that they basically use their heads to make a goal. Um, healthy environments. We know that uh, radiation could have an effect on us, so we need to protect ourselves about that. A healthy and safe workplace. There's more and more focus on that. Uh, air and water quality. For some of us, it's very straightforward. Okay, air and water quality, specifically water quality. There's any issues in, in Ireland, but in some African countries, it seems to be an, an issue. Air quality, we're getting more and more aware about the climate change and about what we have to do about that. And one of the things is to actually increase air quality because more and more research is indicating that it has an effect directly on our brain. <coughs> Stable climate, for example. If you look at safe and security, so physical and financial security, financial security is always a nice thing to have, of course. Uh, it reduces stress, and stress directly has a, an impact on our brain. Learning and social connections, education, lifelong learning. I mean, it's not that you went to school and then you learn everything and then that's it and you go to work. Nowadays, uh, 
the um, work environment is changing so quickly that you constantly need to train yourself to be up to date with things. But it's also a healthy thing to learn new things. Um, access to quality service. I mean, that's a go uh, the government needs to provide that and others, but of course it's us that elect the people that are in the government. So we need to be aware of great medical facilities, uh, helping with essential uh, medicines, diagnostics, and health products, and so on. And care support. We really need to train people to be better carers, for example. So all of these determinants have a huge impact on our brain. But of course, this is more looking at it from a societal point of view. But what can we do individually? What can we do today to improve our pain health? Well, there was an interesting research uh, paper published a couple of years ago that actually indicates that if you look at the risk of developing Alzheimer's disease, the 6% of things that we do not know, genetics, uh, um, <coughs> predispositions, and that's something that at this point we're not able to control. Probably at some point we will be able to control that for looking at CRISPR, for example, to manipulate genes and so on. But there are, and that's a good news, potentially 40% of modifiable risk factors. So 6% we have no control over, or we do not know, but 40% of the things are what we call modifiable risk factors. These are factors that we actually have uh, a say on, or that we can actually <coughs> manipulate ourselves. So, in early life, education. We know that less education has an impact. It has an impact because there seems to be something like neural reserve or cognitive reserve. So education seems to help with building up the cognitive reserve. So the older you get, the more reserve you have, the less likely that you're going to go uh, or you're going to prolong the uh, potential of developing Alzheimer's disease. Midlife, hearing loss, seems to be a major thing. Traumatic brain injury, we spoke about that. So try to avoid having a car accident, easier said than done, of course, but uh, we know that traumatic brain injury has an impact on your brain. Uh, hypertension, so make sure that your blood pressure is within uh, reason. Alcohol consumption, you are more and more aware that we need to uh, take the intake of alcohol consumption. We need to be careful about that. I'm not saying that it's not allowed, but you just have to be careful about it. Obesity. Obesity is now a big issue definitely in the United States, but also in Europe, it's becoming more and more of an issue. So, healthy diets would have to impact on that. Smoking, depression, uh, social isolation, physical inactivity, and air pollution, diabetes, at a later stage of their life, could have an impact. So if we re reduce those risks, actually, it improves our brain health, and we're reducing the risk of developing Alzheimer's <coughs> at the early stage of their life. But if we're specifically looking at the six pillars of brain health, and this is really key, is be social, thanks, you're already here, so enjoy a lot of interaction, that's good. Engage your brain, challenge your brain. It's not that you're saying, okay, I don't want to challenge, learn new things, explore new things, travel, meet new people, manage your stress, exercise in whatever capacity, go for a walk, 
sleep. More and more research is indicating that sleep seems to be crucial. And that having a good diet of this really has an impact on your brain health. And then eat right, healthy diets. So these are all factors that we can have control over as an individual. So this is very interesting. But for today's talk, Karen asked me to specifically talk about hearing loss. So hearing loss seems to be something that has a huge impact because 80% of that 40% seems to be about hearing loss. Protecting your ears and if you have hearing loss, potentially go to a new specialist, go to a neurologist and see what they can do. We know that the risk of developing dementia really correlates with the hearing loss. So the more hearing loss you have, the more likely that you're going to develop <coughs> Alzheimer's disease. Does it mean that, oh, I have hearing loss, I'm going to develop Alzheimer's disease? No, that's not the case. It's not a one-on-one, but it increases the risk. So just to show you that uh, if you have a hearing loss of 60 dB, you increases your chances of developing dementia six times. So that's huge, right? If you have 100, 100 uh, dB hearing loss, which is huge, okay, it means that you're almost deaf at that point. It's eight times that. So we really see, and trying more and more trying to understand why that is, but there seems to be a link between hearing loss and developing neurodegenerative, neurodegenerative disease, specifically Alzheimer's. So why is that? I'm not going to go too much into detail, but we're still trying to understand why is it. Why is there a link between dementia, uh, specific Alzheimer's disease, and uh, hearing loss? Well, one of the assumptions is that, well, the pathology that induces Alzheimer's disease also induces hearing loss. It's one of the assumptions. And second thing is that, well, because you're developing hearing loss, it also has an impact on other brain areas, on other <coughs> areas, that seems to be very crucial for memory, for example, is the hippocampus. It's basically the seat of your memories. Another hypothesis is that, well, because you're developing hearing loss, you're trying to compensate for that. So, for example, my grandmother, I remember that she was always denying that she had hearing loss. And she tried to use tricks to show that she was able to still hear. So, she was a very good lip reader, for example. But you need to use more resources, cognitive resources for that. And it could be that you're using those resources to compensate for the animals. And because of that, it has an effect on uh, your memory. And uh, function pathology interaction. This could be that they're, that they're independent from each other, but that they interact. So that Alzheimer's disease and the animals interact in a specific way that we do not know. But the interesting thing is that we do have a Now, this is all based on assumptions and on what we call correlations. It's not because there is an association between the things that necessarily it's causal, that one thing will affect the other thing. But there's now recent research, and the two things that I will show you are actually published this year, just to show you how recent all this research is. Well, this is a study published recently in a very important scientific journal. 
where they looked at people, there were people that were assigned in the control group and uh, people that were assigned to the intervention group. And the people in the intervention group, all these people had hearing loss. And the people in the intervention group, they had the hearing aid. And they compared after three years, how is their cognitive functioning? Well, what they did uh, see is that the people that got the intervention improved in cognition overall. They were better at paying attention, they were better at uh, shorter memory, and memory, and so on. They were better at understanding language. And it's pretty straightforward. So if you have an image, that's your course, are better uh, at understanding uh, when people are talking to you. But it seems to have not uh, as great also an effect on memory. It's not as pronounced as for language and global cognition, but there seems to be an effect. And keep in mind, this is only for three years. So it's actually quite a short time to follow up people. What if this well, if you do the study again and look at over six years, over ten years, or what if you actually uh, you intervene sooner, might it happen faster? And there's another study that also showed, and this was done in a huge uh, uh, group of people, so it's close to five hundred thousand people. And actually, when they compared people without hearing loss with people uh, <laughs> with hearing loss without hearing aids. Uh, the increased risk of uh, having dementia was significant. So it was really there. So if you just compare people that have uh, hearing loss versus people who do not have hearing loss, and you just compare and you control for everything, age and everything, there's actually, there was a direct effect. Um, there was no uh, increased risk in people with hearing loss that were wearing a hearing. Just to be clear, I'm a professor, I'm not working for the hearing aid industry, <laughs> so there's no conflict of interest. I'm not saying that everyone now needs to get a hearing aid. Uh, there are also other options, and audiologists and ENT specialists can guide you. It, I mean, it's not that straightforward that if you have hearing loss, that automatically you're eligible to get a hearing aid. It depends on, on certain parameters, but it's something to be aware of. I mean, the thing is that. Most of us are wearing glasses, and that's a very normal thing. There's no stigma about it. I mean, even children, when they have, uh, when they are uh, having a visual impairment, are wearing glasses. But there seems, still seems to be a stigma about hearing aids nowadays, and people are a little bit more resistant about it. But actually, nowadays, those hearing aids are completely different than what they were 10 years ago and 20 years ago. Most of the time, you will not even be aware that people are wearing the hearing. They're so small, technology has so evolved that it's really impressive that you don't even wear that. So the stigma is becoming less and less of a concern. And in the clinic, so I have a clinic in Belgium, we see a lot of young people that also wear hearing aids. And sometimes they really have to tell me, because otherwise I'm not even aware that they're wearing hearing aids. But again, <coughs> I'm not here to promote hearing aids. It's one solution, there's also other solutions. But it's something to be aware of. Be aware of your hearing because there seems to be a relationship between hearing loss and damage. Now, also going to take the opportunity to talk a little bit about my research very briefly and also give some hope. Well, the research that I'm doing is on neuroplasticity. So, neuroplasticity, our brains are constantly changing, it's a way of learning. And a 
it's uh, a good thing that our planes are plastic. So for a long time, people were thinking, well, uh, when you're 25, that's it, and then your brain is not going to change anymore. That's not true. It's still able to learn. I was able to learn to speak a new language. It's not as it would be as if I was three years old, but I learned to speak English at a later stage in my life. So you are able to learn, and that's because of brain plasticity. And we know that in people that develop dementia, that there is neurons. You're losing cells, you're losing connections between cells, and so on. So it has an effect. And the research that I'm doing, together with Amisha and with Elba that is here, we're trying to see if we can increase neuroplasticity in the brain. And we're using different types of techniques, very fancy techniques, non-invasive, where we actually send electrical or magnetic pulses into the brain, where we can actually improve neuroplasticity. And we're looking into right now how we can improve these methods, how we can apply these methods to improve uh, people with amnestic malfunction impairment NAD. So there is hope. That's what I'm trying to say. There's a lot of research in doing research. There's more and more uh, the pharma industry that is investing a lot of money to see if we can do something about dementia. There's labs that are doing uh, non-pharmaceutical interventions and try to see if we can come up with a solution. So I just want to say there is hope. But in conclusion, and the takeaway message is that we have these modifiable risk factors. We have these factors that we, as an individual, have control over. Our health is, and our brain health, is something that we really need to start thinking about. And more and more people are aware about their body health and that they have to be access, uh, that they have to exercise. You see more and more people jogging, right? Like in the 70s, that was a rare thing to see, but now it's a very common thing to see. But we also need to think about our brain health. So, in conclusion, be social. Well, check. You're all here today. The first step, engage your brain. Well, check. Well, I hope you were listening to me. <laughs> that I provoked your brain a little bit. So, it's a good thing. Manage your stress. Well, if I look at all of you, you look very relaxed. So, it's other day. Check. Exercise. There will be a lot of exercise today. So, I also check that for today. Sleep, well, after all that exercise, I think you will have a good night of rest. So, check again for today. Healthy diets, well, be aware that after uh, you go out for lunch, uh, you uh, think twice what you're going to eat. And then, be aware of your hearing. So, be really aware of your hearing. That's one of the takeaway messages of uh, my talk. I thank you. Now, how many of you do any of that stuff? How many of you do the connection between hearing loss and dementia? No. Okay, this is cute. That's great that you did know that. Because when I went into GDPHI, when I saw that chart for the first time with the 8%, I went, how much percent? Because I was looking at things like alcohol, obesity, you know, and you're kind of thinking, yeah, I get it. I can understand why that is because brain health is like physical health, is like heart health, mental health, it's all health. So I understood all of that. But when Sven and the other professors were explaining the link between hearing loss and potential for getting dementia, what did they do? I went to got a hearing test. <laughs> Just for the crack. 
And uh, I know I'm the proud owner of mild to moderate hearing loss. And when I was getting my hearing test, the audiologist who was doing the test, she says, why did you call me, you know, are you finding it hard to hear? I said, no, no. I said, just these professors are saying it's a, a risk factor. And my mom had Alzheimer's. So I was looking at the list and I was doing exactly what Sen said. Check, check. I was thinking, I'll do as much as I can with cholesterol, hypertension. Like, these are things we can control. And I thought, I'll do everything in my power to make sure that I'm as healthy as I can be within my own control. And one of the things was getting the hearing test. So I was the most surprised person in the room <laughs> that day. And this audiologist said, when you turned about 50, so I'm 58, when you turned 50, did you notice that you were holding the menu out like this? Or your phone was going out further? <laughs> and I said, yeah, and what did you do? I got glasses. Perfect. Just when your eyes start to change around midlife, your ears are also doing the same journey. Who knew? It should be on the sides of buses. If you're wearing glasses, you should also think about your ears. Now, I don't know what the science is. Sven might be able to tell us the science. All I know is the truth which was when I was around 50 and I started to have to wear glasses to read the book that I used to read like this, I was kind of going like that. Around that time, my audiologist said, your ears have also changed at the same time. Don't understand science, I'm just passing it on. <laughs> so now with that little moment of wisdom, the 8%, that's all something we can do. And also I learned from Sven and other colleagues in, in GDHI that one part of our brain listens and the other part of our brain hears. I call this the same thing, it's not. And if you can't hear properly, you have to practice really hard to listen. And if you're trying so hard to listen, and if there's other things going on in the room and it's getting distracting, what do you do? Yeah. And you come like my mom, looking at the window, and you go, Mom, Mom. Oh no, I didn't know what's wrong. I was distracted by a bird. I think it's where I can do something. Somebody was, you know, my mom was with your grand. She had 1,000 excuses why she didn't hear what you said. She wouldn't get hearing aids. I don't need them. She'd be wearing glasses when she was about 30. And then when we finally did get her to a, an audiologist, she was practically deaf at that stage. But she'd become an expert at lip reading. She would focus on it. When she was talking to you, she would, she would watch it very carefully. But there were so many things that she was missing. My mom had Alzheimer's. Now, I'm not saying that that was the reason why, but I'm just saying now, it's a risk factor. And it's something we could do something about. And also, we can protect our ears and our bowels by doing some dancing. <laughs> You're wondering when the dancing was going on. <laughs> now we have all been. All we could tell us a little bit and show us more importantly why it's so important to us. No, thank you. Hi everyone, I'm lovely to be here today. My name is Alwyn. Um, I'm a dance artist that works quite a lot in the area of dance and health. So I teach a lot of workshops around dance with Parkinson's, dance with dementia. I also direct a dance club for older people, the Culture Dance Club, uh, and we're based in Dance Ireland um, in at the city centre by Connor Train Station. So I'm really happy to be here um, and it's fantastic. I'm learning every time I come to one of Karen's events, I'm taking notes myself. Um, it's ever evolving and moving with the science is fantastic. Um, and so it's the creative aspect that I'm really interested in, how dance can be used to help communicate, um, to bring freedom. Um, the dance I'm going to do 
There's no wrong answer. You uh, engage with the activity in a way that you wish. You might like to sit and listen to the music that I'm playing for you today, or you might like to take on some of the suggestions and give it a go. Yes, that's okay, everybody. Yeah? So I'm going to start. We're all seated. So we're going to start with the seated um, dance first. I'm just going to check my music. So I'm just going to press play as music and turn it up a little and yeah. Ooh, so, I call this one um, an energizer. Okay. So as I said, if you wish to participate, if you wish to watch me, or if you wish to move with me. Yeah. So the first thing we're all going to think about is our feet flat on the floor. So let's do a little rock and I don't want my feet to be right together. I recommend it in a parallel position so your ankles are in line with your knees in line with your hips. Fantastic or a little bit wider is a really nice place to be. Open your shoulders and chest, sitting up tall and alert. Very nice. Imagine the spring at the top of your head shooting up towards the sky and everybody throw a few inches there and got a little bit tall. That's fantastic. Let's bring a little warmth to that. It's a little bit chilly this time of year, isn't it? Yeah. And I'm going to bring my hands towards my heart. You might have both hands on your heart, or you might have one hand on your tummy. And together, we're going to inhale through our nose, exhale through the mouth. Lovely. And again, inhale through the nose, exhale through the mouth. Lovely. I challenge you this time to, yeah, actually, let's try this out. Walk your hands. We're going to imagine you've got a red balloon in front of you. You're going to blow off the balloon, okay? So I want to think about my hands. Give it a wiggle of those fingers. Yeah, our hands wide. So this balloon is getting bigger and smaller. So let's try that, adding our breath. So as I inhale, the balloon gets bigger. As I exhale, yeah, lovely. I know we're quite tight. I don't want you to give anyone a, a black eye inside here. So we're thinking about our blue growing up this way. And let's put a little rhythm to that. So we're going to inhale, slow, exhale, fast. How does that look like? So slow inhale, blowing up the blue. And fast. Yeah, that was great. Come on, inhale. inhale. Slow, 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 and fast. Yeah, take your blood turning out. Let's flip that. Fast <coughs> inhale. Sorry, fast inhale, slow exhale. Off we go. Fast inhale, slow sustain. On the exhale. Oh, very nice. Take out our hands. Very nice. Lovely, everybody. Uh, let's do a little bit of knock on the door. Let me in. I'm going to do a little bit of knocking my arm across the collarbone, connecting that up. Really nice way if you're feeling chilly uh, at home. Lovely. So here when we're crossing over, cross lateral movements, really helps to spark that morning activity that we're speaking about today. Lovely. So I'm going to put on a little bit of music. I'd love you to follow along. Give it a go. Are we up first? Yes. yes. Fabulous. Let me put on some music. <laughs> Let's go. 
Yeah, you know, it's great to actually Now, hello to Mark. Hey, Mark. 
So Mark is our sound man at the back of the room here. He's recording everything that's taking place over these five weeks. Last week was recorded. That'll be up on the DLR website tomorrow. So you get a chance to listen back. If you were there last week and you want to see it again, go for it. Brian Lawler was amazing. If you didn't hear him, well worth checking him out. He's brilliant. Also, you get Mike Hammond, Dr. Malay. Yeah, and Nora Walsh from the Forget Me Nots. Well worth watching that one back. On the next week, we're going to have Professor Ian Robertson, who <coughs> is absolutely amazing. It's at the later time in the evening, and that's to facilitate people who maybe can't get to something like this in the day. So that's an evening one, so it's half six to half eight. Everyone again, all welcome to address. And that's Ian Robertson, subject is all about confidence and poetry. Has any poems that you'd like to share? <laughs> Maybe there's something in a drawer that you never shared with anyone. Next week, Mark and I. So now I'm going to introduce you to Anoush Shimo. Thank you, Karen. Can everybody hear me? Yes. Can everybody see me? Yes. Perfect. Um, thank you, Karen. Thank you so much. Thank you, Susan. And thank you, Mark. Uh, for having us here. Uh, so today we're going to talk uh, a little bit about, a little more about hearing loss. Uh, what uh, Sven has already kind of led us into the world of hearing loss. But we're going to do some activities and actually try and experience what it would be like to be in a world with hearing loss and what we can do. And we already know, Sven has already talked a lot about protecting our hearing. We're going to learn a little bit more about um, what are the kinds of hearing loss, and specifically, uh, we're going to learn a little bit about tinnitus. How many of us here have heard about tinnitus? Yeah. There you go. So, no introductions <laughs> to tinnitus for you. Um, so, a little bit about myself. Uh, I have a background in neuroscience, and I've been working with people with tinnitus for about 10 years. Uh, I'm with Sven for about 10 years. Sven is my PhD supervisor, and uh, he's my mentor for life, I guess, in a lot of ways. Um, so that's one side. And the other side, I am a trained Indian classical dancer. I learned Bharatanatyam for about 12 years. And I spent a lot of my childhood and my college days touring, uh, doing what are called dance dramas, which are uh, like, it, which are a version uh, of, it's a kind of musical. So that's kind of my background. And uh, Karen talked a little bit about GBHI, which is the Global Brain Health Institute. And I was uh, a fellow last year. And I had the wonderful opportunity to put the two together. And together with my colleague and very, very good friend, uh, Magda Pachmarska, who's also, that's the girl there who's dancing along with me. Uh, so we created this. Um, program called Brain FM. It's called Brain for Movement, where we talk about research and we talk about um, uh, modified risk factors, we talk about brain health and how to protect our brain health, but through movement. And I also had the lovely, lovely opportunity, I still have, I mean, I work with um, Jenny McDonald uh, and she works in the amphitheater and some parts of this was today's uh, activity was developed with Magda as part of Brain FM, and some parts were developed with Jenny, uh, who's part of the amphitheater. So we're putting in movement, theater, and hearing loss together in today's session. <laughs> so, 
Oh, Madja is the girl uh, to their, yeah. What is it? The, not the woman, <laughs> to the right. Yeah, yeah. Um, this was in Trinity two years ago, I think 2021, just during COVID. That's why everybody's still wearing masks. So um, before we move on, I know we're all probably, you're all very warmed up thanks to our so now we're actually going to spend a little bit of just a couple of minutes warming up our necks and warming up our heads. So let's sit up straight. Take a deep breath in. And exhale. So we're just going to gently move our heads to the right, to the left, and gently to your right, gently to your left, and straight, up, chin up, as comfortable as you are. And down, up, and down. Straight. Now, a little bit of challenge. Let's try to do this with our eyes closed. So gently close your eyes. And move your head gently to the right. Gently to the left. Gently to the right again. And to the left again. Feel your muscles stretch. You may be a little bit stressed. We carry a lot of stress in our, in our shoulders and in our necks. Now gently move them up. A little added variation side to side, just move your head to the right and gently close your head. And straight and relax. Any idea why you're doing this exercise? Any wild guesses? Circulation. Balance. There you go. <laughs> Balance and circulation. Relieving that stress. Anybody has any idea what is balance doing in a hearing deaf Or not? What? I think I'm already done with half my presentation. I already know So, okay. We're going to talk a little bit about hearing. So, what is the ear? So, do we know how many parts we have for the ear? Three. All right, we have three parts. Any guesses what the names are? Oh, yeah, cochlea is one of it. Out, I hear outer, inner, inner, the canal. There you go. So we have, this is the entire structure. Has anybody seen these, this picture? No. How many of you have not seen? 
That's great. That's great. That's great. Only okay. Um, okay, so we have, like all of you said, we have the outer ear, which has the ear lobe and the ear canal, and the little ear down. And then we have the middle ear, which have these three tiny smallest bones in your body. And then we have the cochlea, or the inner ear, which is a snail-shaped object, <laughs> which is connected to several nerves, called auditory nerves, just nerves, which connects to the brain and specifically called the auditory cortex. So all of these exercises that you did have nothing to do with this. <laughs> but they do have something to do with those three what we call semicircular canals. So what I'm gonna ask you to do is take your hands, bend your forefinger and your thumb. Right? That's your inner ear. This is your cochlea, and these are your three semicircular canals. Any idea why there are three? Guesses? There you go. Who's that? Different planes. There you go. So we remember we did this. That's one plane. And then we did this exercise. That's another plane. And then we did this exercise. That's another plane. So by moving in different directions, we are exercising our three semicircular canals in the inner ear. <coughs> and when you close your eyes, you add an extra challenge, because obviously we're not getting the input from the eyes. So now, and if you want to be more adventurous, you can try this on one leg. <laughs> or you can try it on the other leg. Or you can try the sitting, you can try the standing, you can try the lying down, however you want to do it. But there's different ways of activating these taking hands and exercising your balance structures. So I'm going to show you a little video <coughs> of what goes on inside. So we're not going to talk. So that's about balance, but this is more about hearing. So there's a little video that I have where we have the sound that's coming <coughs> through as waves, so sound travels in waves, and then these waves are coming in through the ear canal and hitting our eardrum, and then that eardrum is then going to push on these three small bones in the ear. You see it's like a little hammer that's pushing on the cochlea. <coughs> And when we zoom into the cochlea, it creates these little ripples in the cochlea, which then moves these little teeny, teeny, tiny hair cells that move front and back. And the movement of these teeny, teeny, tiny hair cells then activates the nerves, which then carry the sound onto the auditory So this is how sound travels onto the brain. For me, so this is the neuroscience person, right? 
gonna switch and put on my dancing shoes. <laughs> to me, this is a dance, right? There's the waves, right? And then there's the drum, and then there's the hammer, right? And there's the hair cells, it's going up and down, or front and back. And then it's going and mapping on to the orchestra. So I'm going to teach you this choreography. <laughs> <laughs> and volunteers who would like to dance with us here are most welcome. Who would like to dance with us? Thank <laughs> you. 
because Anusha has her contact details here. There is a tinnitus that I'm going to ask you about to talk about now. And so she's going to speak specifically about tinnitus now. But if you have any questions at all, this is your time. And thank you all so much for doing it in your own room. Thank you. How are we on time? Now, we are at... We've got 20 minutes. Now, I know we're advertised until 1. If you have to leave, I know some people are collecting kids from schools and things like that. By all means, if to leave. But if it goes over by about three or four minutes, we're okay with that, are we? Yeah. 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 Brilliant. Perfect. I actually had an activity planned, which I don't think we have time to do. Uh, but uh, we'll see. I think depending on how old. Yeah, that's it. Yes, yes. Okay, all right. So do you guys, everybody have coffee home? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
question from uh, the audience asking what kinds of, what are, where do we get, when we have hearing loss, what happens? So I'm going to kind of go back to our little slide over here. Uh, so, the, so there are different kinds of hearing loss. One is called conductive hearing loss. And this can be just because of the max buildup. So the ear canal can get plugged in. Uh, please do not use a Q-tip or I don't know what it's called. I have Thank you. Please don't use that. I think the anecdote, there's no there's no research on this, but this the anecdotal uh, quote is please don't put anything that's smaller than an elbow So that's the general suggestion is to not put anything smaller than an elbow. There's no research behind it, but that's the anecdote, and I think that makes a lot of sense. So one thing is that the canal can get plugged up or a lot of kids experience this that you have know, grandchildren, children uh, who's, who has ear infections, which is nothing but fluid buildup in this part, the middle ear, so there's a nice big space. And here's a little tip. Here's why babies cry on an airplane. Poor guys, I really feel bad for them. So you see this little tube that's going on from the middle ear, the eustachian tube, thank you. So that goes down to the throat. This is an adult ear. Because in kids, the eustachian tube is like this, flat. So they're not really able to release that pressure and it's not going anywhere. So that's why kids cry. How many of us knew this? Maybe I'm just old. So next time if we have a crying baby next to us, just know that it's not their fault. And it's just that they're not able to release that pressure. Um, so the third type of hearing loss, and some of these, and the other obvious one, because these are bones, this is a joint, you know, arthritis, uh, it's a joint, so they can get fused in, they can't move as well, that can also be a cause of hearing loss. And the most popular one that people talk about, and something that we have as we age, is what we call sensorineural hearing loss where either the hair cells, uh, they're bent, they're damaged, and like any other part of our body, they start to degenerate. Uh, sometimes the nerves can degenerate, the cells can degenerate. And one of the things that we do see in tinnitus is that you know, these, these hair cells kind of bend, and then, but then there's still a lot of activity from the nerves because the nerves are so, they're so used to it that this kind of goes up and is interpreted as the brain has changes. That's one explanation for tinnitus. So what we're going to do is I'm going to give you, so all of us have a cotton ball. Uh, so we have pick a partner. And uh, so one, we're going to, so not everybody has to do this in the sense that there's one person who's going to narrate a story. I'll give you one minute for that, or a minute and a half. And you can narrate, and and I would like you to narrate a story to your partner with as much detail as possible. I was going, I came today in a red car, driving on a very busy high road. I have, I had three children in the back, as much detail as I can. The other person who's hearing the story is going to plug their ears. Yeah. yeah. And you can choose between yourselves as to who wants to narrate the story and who wants to. 
and you pick another partner and you retell the story that you just heard as your own. So your partner tells you, I felt blah, 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 and then you tell another person, I went on a holiday. Story that you just heard, you're going to retell it in the first person as if it's your own story. Here's the catch. Because the person who's not able to hear the details, sometimes there might be details that you might lose. Feel free to make it up. <laughs> I was going in a very big truck, which was red in color, and I had four children in the back, including my husband. <laughs> so, you have a minute and a half to tell your story to your partner.
They're even more powerful than probably what it was previously. What was your experience? What was it like to have hearing loss? Hard to concentrate. How much were you able to remember and how much did you make up? How much were you able to remember? 
But all the people where this region can be uh, problematic, you either hear, depending upon the amount of hearing loss, either the sound is coming from the auditory cortex, or if the hearing loss is deeper and it's more, it's coming from more memory-related areas. So the brain always wants to make a complete picture of what it's hearing, what it's seeing, what it's feeling. So depending if you, that's why when some people who have, uh, who don't have an arm or people who have an amputated arm, they have a feeling that the arm is still there. That's kind of the same idea with tinnitus is that they don't hear the sound, but they have a feeling that but the brain is, okay, I'm going to complete the picture. We're going to make up things like how some of us here just did because we want to get the details and we want to get the story told. So that's kind of what's happening with tinnitus as well. I know it's, we are also running short of time. Yes. Sorry, very quick question. Can we get tinnitus without hearing loss? Yes. Yes. That's a very, that's a much more complicated story. Yes. Somebody says I've got tinnitus. I think we should ask someone who has tinnitus to probably talk yeah. about it. Anybody who wants to volunteer? Oh, yes. Uh, well, how do you describe <laughs> <laughs> When you have tinnitus, what do you mean? When someone says I have tinnitus, what do you mean? Sir, do you want to come up and no, talk over the mic? I can talk over here. For me, it's just continually buzzing. Yes. Like and when I turn to the right, it gets worse. Uh, uh, and that's, that's, that's basically what it is. So you get really bad sometimes, depending on, say, if I'm exercising or something like that, it gets much louder than I would imagine. Uh, both, both my parents had it as well, so there might be a red. Some people get fangs and sticks, but mine is. <laughs> is there any cure for that, for the actual buzzing or noise? No. no. So we have, I think that's where, that's the big question as to how that, and so one of the things that we've done, so together with Tinnitus, <laughs> together with Sven, and Sven and Karen are advisors for um, a community that we have in Ireland that's, that we started very new, it's called Tinnitus Era. And Sven is our scientific advisor, Karen is our strategic advisor. And the idea is how do we get together as a community? So we can't, if we can't cure the buzzing, but it's not just the buzzing, it's the anxiety that comes along with it. It's the, so there are people who are extremely, feel extremely depressed because of it. They're extremely annoyed because of it. So how can we attack all of these other components of tinnitus? Maybe engaging in community activities. How, what we've talked about in terms of brain health and how these different ways of protecting our brain health can actually help us um, manage tinnitus, if not cure it, is the question that we're trying to ask with uh, the community. Can I ask you, um, I, get, I get tinnitus only in one ear. I noticed it comes on when there's been a lot of activity and a lot of voice. Are you saying that it's like having an amputate on the it's there and you're, it's, the brain is making up these sounds because you can't absorb and you don't know what you'll hear. So I only get it really. I'm going to be not nice tomorrow after the stimulation and the ear involvement today. Is that it? Is that the noise? 
and the overload, and not mention sense of it, and that gives you the buzzing and the um, thing. It'll start quite, you know, when I. Is that it? Is that what it does? Tell you what you think. <laughs> sure. So there's two parts to it. So we know that for some people that are exposed to a lot of noise and a little bit of stress, getting here and everything, that the next day is basically payback time. And basically, they're getting louder. At the same time, there's people that also say that if they're isolated, if they do not get a lot of input, the next day it gets louder. And at this point, it's a little bit of a puzzle why that is. So we know that stress has an effect on it. And that's one of the reasons and there's recent research that indicate that stress also has an impact on that prefrontal cortex that is actually the noise cancellator for your tinnitus. So we know that stress plays a role in that. Um, but there are different types of tinnitus. And at this point, we do not know why in your case it's getting louder the next day. But for other people, they're just saying, I need to avoid quiet places because then I'm really aware of my tinnitus and uh, it's over sending actually what it is. So at this point, it's a little bit of a puzzle for us. To add, uh, yes, to add to that, we also don't understand. So there's also a lot, I feel very overstimulated. I'm going to have a feedback time even though I don't have tinnitus. But we also don't understand when people have, when people feel overwhelmed, how does it impact their tinnitus? Again, these, these are the kinds of research questions that we also want to ask. Just to say, yeah, I've only experienced once in my life when it was caused by using um, headphones. I, after an operation, I couldn't sleep. So I was playing something I could understand. I was playing music to calm myself um, for three nights. And by the fourth day, I had tinnitus. As soon as, once I stopped doing that, it went away. So I do wonder about people using headphones all the time when they're predisposing themselves. Because that's, that's, that's a great question. And the answer is most likely. Uh, one of the things that we have to be aware of, and that's a very good point that you bring up, is that if you take anything from today, please be aware that we get used to the loudness of a particular sound. So when we're actually bumping up volume, what we're doing is that, let's say we have it at level two, and then we continuously, and especially when we're exposed to it for a long time, we get used to it. And especially a lot of us and with kids uh, who, and with a lot, and this is also the case with, um, Musicians is that because we want to hear, especially with musicians who are working with sounds, they want to hear the nuances. And volume is one of the things which can help you distinguish the nuances. So if you're not, and you're also like, okay, if I'm not able to hear it, I'm going to bump it up. So what you're doing is that every time you bump up the volume, we're getting used to that kind of volume. And our brains, our brain will get used to it, but our ears are going to be stimulated by it. So if you take anything from today, every time you bump up the volume, just give yourself a few days and maybe try it at a lower volume. So it's kind of a trade-off between either it's, you know, with entertainment, especially with teenagers, with children, and even myself. I'm like, I want to hear, I want to get the experience. But then I, every time I say, okay, I want to get the experience, but at what cost? So I'm going to try to keep it at a lower volume. So Please be aware that every time we bump up the volume, we're getting used to something that was a little bit quieter. Even though it feels like it's not very loud, it is loud for our ears. This may not have anything to do with this, because my husband has said, I go every day to see, you know, 
and I play all his music because I have recordings of him on the video. But he, he don't, it's not that terrible loud. He's always telling me to turn it down. He's 91. Now, and he's, he's mouthing the words. He still remembers the words of the song, and he's singing still. But um, he said he tells me to turn it down. <laughs> it's not that I have a blasting around. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's great if everyone else hearing it, you know, and I tell them, we're in the room, you see. And I said, because no one else can hear this, you only ourselves, you know. So that's actually called, um, it's what we call hyperacusis, which means that we get even, you know, normal sounds can feel loved as I'm going to give this to Sam to talk a little bit more about it. Well, I think most of us experience that when we are uh, driving back from work, for example, or from a party, and listen to music, but in the morning when we start our car, the volume is still on. <laughs> <laughs> and then you're like, whoa! Yeah. That's why I love go to your party. <laughs> That's why I love. So it seems that our viewing or our viewing is adjusting to that volume by emission. I said. So and actually what you're doing is you're pushing those hair cells. Those hair cells that we were mm -hmm. I'm not sure about <laughs> I'm really a horrible dancer. Uh, but basically you knock that down and then you need to have some rest and basically like that. And you have some medicine and everything because you can use steroids that can help that and uh, there's other things uh, that can push those hair cells back up. And but it did it just basically what you do is that there's <coughs> structural damage. And when the structure is there's no way that those hair cells grow back. It's not like our hair that they that they grow back. Once they're gone, they're gone. So that's something I need to know. You you mentioned earlier that there's an increase in in uh, hearing problems over the years, and there is also a bombardment of senses nowadays that we, it's very hard to find peace and quiet. Mm -hmm. When you go to a cinema, it's I find I find it's. It's dangerously loud for the first 10 minutes, and then we eventually adjust to it. But is there not any control over public places, like, like a cinema, that we don't need that level of noise? I, uh, I agree. So, well, I'm originally from Belgium, and in Belgium there's already rules in place for festivals and, and, and everything that uh, of demand of uh, the levels of what you're still playing music and how long you get exposed to it, because it's not only how loud is it, but also how long is it really exposed to it. Yeah. So, and there's more and more stricter regulations about that. I don't know how it is in Ireland, but I think in more and more European countries, there are certain stricter rules about how loud you can play music at music festivals and everything, because when you're young, you always think the louder the better, right? Mm, yeah. And actually, one of the things is that young people all have a little bit of feet. I was very disheartened because that's how they think about the body. And all of us probably experienced it at some point, uh, but it goes away and there's no worry. But for some people, it sticks, and that's uh, where they want to make a concern, of course. Uh, so I think we need to be more and more aware, and there's more and more push about hearing, giving awareness, about uh, getting exposed to uh, noise, and so on. And do you think that the young people nowadays, when they go for walks, they have to constantly, constantly have noise mm -hmm. in their wearing earphones on the on the bus and they're on the train. When do they ever give their brain a rest? Is that causing the increase in, in statistics? At this point, we're not sure, but it's it's one of the well, some people, some scientists are saying, oh, this don't have an impact. Mm -hmm. 
yeah. Other people are a little bit more skeptical, and, and it's not yet a known answer. That's the problem. We need to get input because if you do not get input, then it's very simple. If you don't use it, you lose it. It's a very simple rule in your brain. So if you don't basically get input, you don't lose those neur uh, neurons that you're using for listening. Um, so you need to get input. But I put everything. What level? Yeah, everything. It's a level. How, how much? Yeah, if time for just one more question, and then if we're supposed to finish at one, this is fascinating. Mm -hmm. So we time for just actually we've got one, two, two, three, three more really quick questions. Then, if you like, Alvin has one more little exercise you want to do with us. So we'll take three really quick questions, and um, and then we Alvin, and then we will leave. And we'll see you hopefully next week. It's a later time, half past six to half past eight. And we've got the amazing Professor Ian Robinson, one of my favorite people. So, um, is that our warning bell, Mark? Is that what you <laughs> <laughs> Okay, three more quick questions. Anne. I have had hearing aids since I was 25. I'm now profound to severe. Practically nothing. They want to give extra uh, amplification. I said no. I said, although they're not managing the deafness, hundred percent. I said, leave me with them so that I hear enough and in a level that I can cope with rather than intensity all the time. And I use an extra thing when it is required. Isn't is that not a sensible thing to do rather than have the amplification twenty four seven? I've no hearing on my right side. I've lost it since I had meningitis as a child, and I have 10 to 20 plus years. But I'm always kind of aware that I, mean, I don't focus on my tinnitus at all. It's all about being mindful about it. But listening isn't true, you're just, just your ears. When you lose, when you lose hearing, it's, 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 it's about. Uh, seeing people, it's about using your sensuousness as a person with all your senses to hear stuff. So it isn't always auditory because you're always looking for clues. Like blind people have, people with no vision have bigger chasms of map than seeing blind people. So I have to do that. I realize that that work has been done anyway. So that idea of loss, I always kind of kind of going, it's kind of, it's not lost, it's just gone. It's just gone. The hearing there is gone. But I don't have any perception of that whatsoever. So regarding here, it makes you attune in at a deeper level. So you're going into emotions, you're going into visual cues, you're going into the skin and uh, sensory in the skin. And you're also listening with your body because you can hear more. People just think it's a hear. I don't love face because you can feel it, you know what I mean? And, and uh, especially face and ear. So anyway, just answer that. Brilliant, thank you. And in fact, you brought up something really useful as well about using all the senses. And um, what Anusha is doing, and with Sen, is creating a community of people who have tinnitus. And um, not necessarily people who have hearing loss, although they can join as well. But it's specifically, isn't it, for people who have tinnitus? It's a community of people who can give little tips for each other about what works for me is an app on my phone. What works for me is whatever. You know, and, and this is where sharing knowledge is something that works really well. So we're going to leave uh, Anusha's slide with her connection, uh, her email address. So make sure that if you want to connect with Anusha, 
You can do two things. You can take down her uh, details now. If you want to take out your phone and just take a picture of it, that's okay. Um, or you can watch back this um, workshop and connect in with Anusha because she's creating this nationwide community for people with tinnitus. And uh, while you're taking that photograph, all that's setting up, we've got one more exercise that we're going to join in for today so that everybody will be left feeling nice and warm and nice and mobile. Thank you so much for your attention. Thank you. And thank you all good. We're going to go out with the next time. If you have to go, that's okay. If you have to go, that's okay. If you have to go, that's okay. We'll have to leave the mic for our last exercise. So, let's give it a little warm up for our hands. Very quickly. Um, and so great using imagery, so her face is imagery. So I'd like you to have a look in your pockets, see if there's anything in there, and you're going to find the seed. Okay? And this is the seed of fabulous flower. And I'd like you to show the seed around. Yeah? So we're holding it in our hands. And I'd like you to verbalize, what are you going to plant? I think I'm going to do a tulip today. So say it out loud, what are you going to plant? Rose. Sunflower. Sunflower, lovely. Very nice. And we're going to push back the earth, push back the soil. I'm going to plant my seed. I'm going to plant it all the way down. And then I'm going to show my flower growing, twisting, looking for the sunlight. And I'm going to create a shape. This is my flare, whatever flare that is. And I'm going to pick it, and I'm going to be really greedy. And it's up high, it's down low, like I'm snatched. Okay. Yeah, so it's got nice set of ribbons in it. And you're going to show us your fabulous function flare you just created. Chelsea Flare Show, we're going first. You're going to show your function flare to everyone here who's got the best flare.